I thought I'd start just by um, sharing a couple of things, just what I'm reading and what I'm listening to. Uh, so I am currently reading, amongst other things, a book called Holy Spirit by Michael Corleanus. Um, yep, you can guess what that's about, uh, the one who makes Jesus real. Uh, and uh, I've also just started reading uh, from recommendation from uh, Maria Mason from Tribe Byron Bay, Leadership Pain uh, by Samuel Chan, Chanda. And uh, yeah, I, I do remember a few years ago uh, when I came to the realization that leadership and in particular pastoring is painful, that it's meant to be painful. So then you kind of go, oh, well, that kind of makes it Easier. Otherwise, you're kind of fighting against the pain of it, and then you go, oh, it's supposed to be hard. You know, it's like when you go, if you go to the gym, if, not when, uh, if, um, if you go, then you're like, wow, that really hurts, and it's really painful, and it's like, it's because it's supposed to be, and you go, oh, okay, that kind of makes it easier somehow, um, but I'll let you know how it goes, uh, but it is certainly something in, I think, in any form of, of leadership, whether it's uh, parenting, relationship church, business, whatever, uh, there is pain associated with it and, and learning how to rightly manage uh, and journey through our pain is important. Uh, but also, uh, so Michael Koulianis, uh, they have a ministry in the US, uh, connected as well, they're friends with the guys from Upper Room and uh, a lot of different people. He's actually, so he's married to the daughter of Benny Hinn, so he's Benny Hinn's son-in-law. Um, Benny Hinn also wrote a book on the Holy Spirit called Good Morning Holy Spirit, which is another one, good one to read. Um, uh, so they've got a, a ministry called Jesus Image, and it's just all about Jesus, which we're all about, but like he's kind of bringing it back, and I was like, it's really all about Jesus. So uh, they've got a podcast as well, um, which, uh, which I listen to regularly, and I've also started listening to uh, the Emotionally Healthy, yeah, uh, so uh, Peter Scazzaro, is the guy's name, so he wrote Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Emotionally Healthy Relationships, Emotionally Healthy Church, Emotionally Healthy Leaders, all that sort of stuff, so, uh, but it's really good stuff, and I think um, certainly things that resonate with what we've, you know, the Lord has already led us to journey through, but it's something where, um, you know, we do a lot with Elijah House and kind of dealing with root issues and a lot of heart stuff and emotional things, but uh, there's also what we need to do in terms of how we walk out our healing, how do we create cultures that are emotionally healthy and uh, really, really good uh, content and stuff there. So Pete Scazzaro, S-C-A-Z-Z-E-R-O, if you want to listen to some great podcasts and read some good books. Cool? So this morning, um, I, I've, I've titled it Fear and Grace, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see where we end up. Uh, so a couple of weeks ago, Rachel preached on the fear of the Lord. Actually, you did a couple of kind of weeks in a row there. Who enjoyed that? Yeah. Who Has anyone felt a shift in their awareness uh, since that time? Yeah. Their awareness of maybe what's not right in their heart or in their life. Anyone? A sense of kind of... Uh, weightiness of God. Yeah, the fear of the Lord can come upon a people and it's a really, really good thing. Um, you know, great revivals in history have spread uh, when uh, cities and, and regions and nations have come under the fear of the Lord. Uh, it's something where people are, you know, whole, whole regions are, are changed and transformed because 
people all of a sudden come under this realization of who God is and who they are. Um, so just wanting to kind of carry on from that topic and, uh, and kind of share a little bit into that. So one of the things that the fear of the Lord does is that it helps to put things into their right order. So when the fear of the Lord comes, it's a good thing. So obviously we understand from Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So it is a foundational element and dynamic to our relationship with God. I'm not sure if it's always um, kind of taught that way. I think what we often hear as the gospel pre preached, uh, which is very much one of, you know, Jesus uh, Live the life that you couldn't live, die the death you deserve to die, rose again, defeating Satan, sin and death, and now sits at the right hand of the Father and is coming back. Now that is true, that is what Jesus did, um, but oftentimes it's a, uh, don't worry about anything, just come and pray a prayer, come to the front, we'll pray for you, get your ticket to heaven, all is good, uh, and it's not necessarily the invitation into a discipleship relationship with Jesus in the way that he proclaimed it. I think when you read through the Gospels in the account of what Jesus shared, he, he proclaimed the, the gospel of the kingdom, which is that God has established and originally in the garden and then authority was lost, authority has been restored through Christ and now he is establishing his kingdom in the earth. So Jesus is king of that kingdom, so his lordship is important. But Jesus was very kind of like, um, you know, count the cost of what it is to be a disciple. You know, uh, it says that, you know, uh, uh, someone doesn't go to build a house without first considering how much it's going to cost. You know, uh, someone's like, I want to follow Jesus. I just got to bury my dead father. He's like, well, you're not fit to be my disciple. Like he, he set the bar much higher than what we do today. We're just like, oh, it doesn't matter. Just come and just pray a prayer. That's all you need to do. And yet Jesus' expectation is, no, no you, you got to rightly understand what kind of relationship you're entering into. And I think that's sometimes where people get caught. We can be so quick to get people through the door um, that we don't actually explain to them the, the kind of room that they're entering, uh, which is um, lordship. Yeah. It's the fine print. So... If the fear of the Lord helps to put things into right order, and that is then that word righteousness. So God is righteous. Everyone agree? We'll clarify that. Good. So the Lord God is righteous in, what he, in that he speaks and he acts in accordance with the purity of his own holy nature. So there is a right order in God being who he is. So not just that he is righteous, but he always acts in accordance with his nature. Sometimes we can think of righteousness as doing the right thing. But it's not about doing right, it's about being right. So God is righteous in that he is holy and pure in his nature, but he also always lives in accordance with his nature. So God's nature could be something that you don't like, doesn't mean he's not righteous. So we understand that God is in right order within himself. You'll never see God do something that doesn't match up with his holy, pure nature. So that's what actually what righteousness is, is the flow down. So then the same for us, for us to be righteous is not for us to always tick the box of doing the right thing, but it's for us to be in right order, in right relationship with the Father and with our own new creation nature. We can sometimes think about, well, I've got to do the right thing. 
I've got to tick the right box. I've got to follow all of the, the rules and regulations to kind of keep things in order. And that was what the law was. So they understood the laws. There's all of these, you know, 500 and something laws that the, the Jewish people would follow. And I've just got to tick every single box and then I am righteous. And yet God says, you know, someone like Abraham was, you know, it was his faith that made him righteous. It was his faith in the Lord. So it was him being in right relationship with the Father that he was declared righteous. So we understand that's why the law couldn't fulfill all righteousness because it never put people in right order with the Father, but it actually kept them essentially held captive in a good way. So we are righteous not when we do what is right, but when we live in right relationship with the Father. And the overflow of which is doing right according to God's design and desire. So when I live in right relationship with the Father, the natural overflow of that is that I will do things that are in accordance with His nature, which is my new nature, and therefore will look like what God would do. So I can try and reverse engineer. So, well, I'll just do everything that's right, and hopefully that will bring me into right relationship with the Father. It doesn't work that way. Jesus has purchased right relationship for you, he is your righteousness, so he is the right order between you and the Father, and when I focus and prioritize that, the natural overflow is that I'll walk in the ways of Christ. I will do the things that God desires me to do because it's in accordance with my very own nature. Is that making sense? Because it's, it's, it's a revelation to me. Like it's, as I'm preparing this, even as I'm speaking to you, you know, I, my, I know not everyone here probably publicly speaks as, as often, but sometimes you just prepare stuff and then you realize, wow, this, that's, wow, I haven't thought of that before as it's coming out. You know, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for right order with the Father, for they will receive what they desire. I was pondering during the week, you know, sometimes we... We desire to be satisfied. Anything that's not, you know, when we're hungry, we desire that to be satisfied. When we're thirsty, we, we desire for that to be satisfied. When something is broken, we desire for it to be satisfied, which is for it to be made right. If I'm sick, I desire to be made healthy because that is satisfaction, essentially, in that way. But again, sometimes we work in the wrong order. So God has established if you want to be satisfied, what should you do? be hungry, which is the opposite. It's a little bit paradoxical. But oftentimes we then seek satisfaction when God's like, no, no, seek hunger and you'll be satisfied. Get hungry for me, hunger for righteousness, hunger for that right order. You get this right, I will satisfy this. It is just how it works in the kingdom of God. And yet we can, because if we're seeking satisfaction, then we naturally will look to the things of the world to satisfy those places. So then the Lord can't even satisfy them because they're already satisfied by worldly things. And that's where sin creeps in. Subtly, it might even be a good thing. But you make that good thing in the place of God, it becomes an idol. 
So when we speak of the fear of the Lord, when the fear of the Lord comes upon us, so we want it to be a framework that we live under, that we understand the fear of the Lord, but it's also something that we should, it's a, it's a reality, like a manifest reality that we can live under the fear of the Lord. And when it comes, it demands a response. It doesn't command a response, but it demands. By its very nature of being there, it's like, I have to do something. I have to make a decision when the fear of the Lord comes. When it comes upon me, I can't just go, oh, that's good. It's like, okay, wow, it's here. It, it demands a response from me. And it's important that we don't respond to the fear of the Lord with, with striving or out of the wrong kind of fear. It's like, God's here. He's shown up. He's doing something. He's preparing us for this next thing that he's doing. Quick, I gotta, oh, you know, it's about time. I, out of fear, I try and get things right or I try and strive to be a better person in some way because it's the wrong kind of striving. It's the wrong kind of response to the presence of God. We need to make sure that we are responding rightly, but we're responding from the right place, not out of self-striving, but out of the grace of God that he releases for us in the midst of that place to step into the new thing that he has for us. So righteousness, which is the right response to the fear of the Lord, requires grace. And it requires grace, requires, it requires grace um, in order for it to be righteous. Otherwise, it's self-righteous. So you, you cannot pay God back. I just want you to know, if you receive salvation, you're like, thank you, Jesus, so awesome. Or I'm gonna try really hard now to pay you back. Because any good thing that you do is empowered by his grace, so you actually become more indebted to God the longer that you journey with him. Sorry. So righteousness requires grace. And so in order for us to receive grace, we actually have to rightly understand what grace is. And uh, I wanna propose to you that maybe, and I know I've, I've spoken on this many, many times, maybe our understanding of what grace is and the role of grace in our lives and in the, in the body of Christ maybe has been a, a little bit skewed in a sense. So oftentimes we think of, of grace it's translated as unmerited favor from God. And we often apply that then in the, in the place of salvation that we would say, well, I'm, I'm just, I'm Ephesians 2.8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and it is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. It's not by works so that no one can boast for we are God's workmanship, creating Christ Jesus. Do good, do good works with God prepared in advance for you to do. Amen. Um, I like that verse. It's a good verse. It's a good one to remember. But it's by grace you have been saved in this sense of like, oh, it's not because of anything that I have done, which is true. It's everything that God has done. That's why I'm saved. So we get this sense of grace being a, a covering for my sin. Oh, I'm thank, so thankful for the grace of God because that's why he's not squashing me like a bug right now because of his grace. And then it continues on every day, oh, I messed up. Oh, praise the Lord for his grace that he's not squashing me like a bug today. And the next day, oh, I messed up again doing the exact same thing. Oh, praise the Lord for his grace that he's not squashing me like a bug. But I wanna present to you that maybe the grace of God isn't the covering of your sin, it's actually in the empowerment for your righteousness. That the, the grace of God comes in the midst of bondage and being stuck and being tempted to sin, that the grace is there in order to empower righteousness in you, the righteousness of God, so that you choose righteousness over sin. And I wanna also encourage you that grace is not unmerited in the Bible. 
It's actually merited power from God. What? I can do something to determine how much grace there is in my life? Absolutely. Well, according to the Bible, it is. I'll first start uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. This is Paul speaking. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. My grace is sufficient for my strength. So grace, strength, and power are all tied together in this verse. So Paul right there tells us what grace is. My grace is sufficient that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So God's saying to Paul and Paul's saying to us, the grace of God, the very power of God is enough for me. I don't need anything else. I don't need to be strong in myself because his power is enough for me. So the grace of God essentially is the power of Christ. And it's this word charis in Greek. This is where we get the word charismatic, which is, which is kind of a, a stream of Christianity that believe in the, in the grace gifts of God. Now again, if you look in 1 Corinthians 12, where we often talk about spiritual gifts, that word gifts isn't actually in the scriptures. Um, it's not there, we've, we just kind of added that in to try and make sense, but I think sometimes it probably brings confusion because then we think about, oh, you know, utilize your spiritual gifts. You don't have spiritual gifts, you just have the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God working in you does good things and it is a gift to the world. But to understand that, to be a charismatic is that I understand that the very power of God is present every single day for me to do what I need to do. I don't think I'm a charismatic, oh, because God covers my sin all the time. It's his mercy that covers your sin. It's the finished work of Christ that paid the price for it. It's his grace that is there for you to actually walk out the other side of the cross, the resurrection side. Acts 4.33 says, And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Uh, Paul says in, I don't know if it's 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, I've missed the number, 15.10, you can look it up. It says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So I worked really, really hard, but it wasn't me, it was the grace of God that was working hard. Have I covered enough scriptures to kind of give this impression that, yes? Okay, good. We can talk about it later if you need. I've, I've done whole sermons on it. That's not the point of today. So grace is not about getting away with sinning. It's the empowering presence of God that helps you to not sin. And this whole idea of it being merited, that you can actually, um, it's not about deserving his grace or even earning his grace, but it's about positioning yourself to receive grace. And this comes from James 4, verse 6. And it says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So Paul here is setting up 
Oh, it's not, it's James. But you know, uh, in the scripture setting up these, this juxtaposition that says if you are proud, God opposes you. If you're proud, God opposes you. If you're in humility, God empowers you. So the, the, there's a choice there that I get to make. Do I walk in pride or do I walk in humility? So again, the scripture says, humble yourselves, James 4.10. Humble yourselves. So is humility a choice? Yes, it is. I get to choose to humble myself. And I'm, as I've said before, I highly recommend humbling yourself. Number one, don't ask God to do it because you probably won't like the way that he does it. And he's given you an option because he, he will, out of his love, he will humble you. And again, it probably won't be the way that you would do it. Like he's really, um, he's really thorough when he does things. And he will, if you ask God to humble you, he will thoroughly humble you. So he gives us, again, the option to say, I recommend humble yourself. You know, sometimes it's like, you might say to your child, I recommend that you control yourself. Because uh, if you carry on this way, I might need to step in and help you to control yourself. But my way probably isn't gonna be as fun as your way. Yeah, that's how we discipline sometimes when we get it right. Um, so grace is merited to you, but it's not based upon your behavior. It's based upon your position. It's merited not because of my behavior, but because of my position. So again, you know, when you, when you step into a, into a particular role, um, I mean, a, a, a police officer, they're given a role, a position of authority, and so certain things are merited to them, the ability to arrest people and shoot people and do all those sorts of things, you know, pull you over in your car, you know. Now, is that because necessarily that they are a better person than anybody else? Not necessarily. Even police do make poor choices sometimes. There is corruption and all of those sorts of things that can happen. But it is merited to them because of their position, not necessarily because of their behavior. So again, I can, be, I can be struggling in an area, but how I position myself will determine how much grace is released for me to come out of that place. This is why, you know, when you confess your sins to one another, that there seems to be like just this a freedom and a strength and a grace that comes upon you to come out of whatever you are stuck in. It's because you've humbled yourself before somebody. You've admitted, I've tried to overcome this, I'm stuck, I need help, I just wanna confess this to you, can you pray for me? And all of a sudden, there feels this like an empowerment to walk out of that place. So when we humble ourselves before the Lord, it's an acknowledgement of who we are and who God is. So again, it brings right order for us. It's really important that you understand that you are not God which can be quite difficult in the westernized culture that we live in. Because everything in advertising and media and this consumer culture wants to position you as God. So we need to get that in right order in us. It needs to be the right order of our hearts in order for us to rightly relate to the Father. So when we enter into a posture of humility, God is no longer against us, but he is coming behind us and, and empowering us to move forward. 
You know that scripture, you know, if, if God is for you, who can be against you? I'm like, yeah, God is for me. Well, then the, obviously the reverse is true. If God is against you, who can be for you? So the Bible is saying God will stand in front of you and stop you from moving forward. The question might be, why am I stuck? I'm so bound and stuck in this. Like, it's because the Lord is keeping you there. Yeah, it's possible because of his love, because he doesn't want you to strive forward in self-righteousness and pride, because it will destroy you. So I'm just gonna keep you here, my son or my daughter, because I love you. I'm just gonna wait till you calm down, till you climb off your high horse, and you take on a posture of humility. You recognize, okay, remember, I'm the father, you're the child in this relationship. Okay, we're good. All right, let's move forward now. That's a loving father. The unfortunate reality is that there are consequences in the kingdom of God. That we've come out of, you know, we're not under the law, the old covenant law, we are under the new covenant, but there are still consequences in the kingdom of God. This is something that stood out to me when we, first did the Elijah House training, and I was like, oh, that's right, there's laws in the kingdom of God. Sowing and reaping, judgments, forgiveness and unforgiveness, all of those sorts of things. Like, okay, so the kingdom of God still operates. It's not a lawless realm. I don't go from, oh, I'm under the, I was under the law, but now I've come into freedom of just lawlessness. No, you just come under a different law. And Romans says it's the law of the spirit of life. There are promises in the kingdom. There are laws that carry blessing and consequences. I don't, they're not necessarily curses like they were. They're not condemning, but they are, there's a consequence to not fulfilling and or walking in the laws of the kingdom. The Bible says, so Jesus talks about it. It's like if you have unforgiveness, if you are standing in the position of unforgiveness, then you will be bound by the jailer. Like you'll be held in that place until you come into forgiveness. Judge, you want to judge, that judgment that you make is going to come back around to you. Oh, can I just avoid it? Doesn't, you know, just the cross just kind of somehow jump in the way and more only if you invite it to. But there are absolutely consequences in the kingdom. You want to be greedy, there's a consequence to your greed. You want to be proud, there's a consequence to your pride. God is going to stand against you. Grace doesn't nullify consequences by getting you off the hook. Grace can help you to avoid consequences by empowering you to walk in righteousness. So God's like, I'm not gonna just throw you out there and say, well, hope you survive in my kingdom. He's like, no, no, I'm gonna teach you. I'm gonna write the law on your heart. Amen. So I don't need to go and find it. It's gonna be written on my heart. And I'm going to give my spirit who's going to dwell in you, who's going to empower you to do every single thing that I desire for you. I'm going to literally put a new heart in you. I'm going to make your spirit brand new. You're going to be a new creation. That old that you were has passed away. There's a whole new you inside of you. And I'm going to give you everything that you need. But if we understand grace is like, oh, when I mess up, then the grace of God is there to make me kind of feel better, to alleviate some of the guilt of the poor choice I made. Nope. He's not gonna squash you. 
He's not gonna throw you into the fiery pit. You're gonna suffer the consequences of your choices. But if we understand, it's like, Lord, I'm right on the edge of this slope. I don't wanna fall in, I need your grace. So I humble myself before the Lord and he gives me grace, which gives me strength to choose what is right and to walk in alignment with my new nature, which is righteousness. That's what the grace of God is for. So when the fear of the Lord comes, it quickens our posture of humility because we become aware of who God is and who we are in light of who God is. So just the natural consequence of the fear of the Lord being present is like I recognize, oh, that's right, you're God, I'm not. And it's a really healthy thing to be reminded of sometimes. It doesn't make us pitiful little worms. We are highly valuable to God. You are deeply loved by the Father to the point that he would send the Son in order to fulfill all righteousness so that you can come into right relationship with the Father. That's how much he loves you. That's how valuable you are to the Father. But you're far from being God. The fear of the Lord is a pathway to grace for us. And the reality is you cannot accomplish what God has for you without him. So again, when the fear of the Lord comes, it, it postures me rightly. That's right. I'm not, I'm not out here just striving and being great and being awesome and doing all this sort of stuff and stepping into self-righteousness and pride and all of those sorts of things. I'm over in this place. It's like, man, you are God. You are the Lord of all and you're my Lord. You're the Lord of all creation. You're my Lord. And I oh my goodness, I, can, I, can, I see you as you are and the natural response is for me to bow. That's why the angels around his throne, like they're bowing. That's the only response that they can have to him is to bow. It's the only fitting response and they see him. And it's like when we see him and that's why when he shows up and, I think, and, and again, lots of attributes of the nature of God can come. But it's like when the fear of the Lord comes, it positions us rightly because we need to be positioned to receive the next thing that he wants to do. If we're not positioned rightly, we are the ones who will miss out. Galatians 3, chapter one, sorry, Galatians chapter three, verse one. You know what I'm saying. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this, did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So again, we understand it's, we start by the Spirit, you're saved by the Spirit of God, and you'll be perfected by the Spirit of God. It's all Holy Spirit. And again, it's really good, and I love, you know, Michael Koulianis is always on about this, but it's like the Holy Spirit isn't like part of God. It's not just the, you know, the Spirit of God moving. It is, it's God, He's God. So when the Holy Spirit, the fact the Holy Spirit dwells in you, God dwells in you. Do you understand that, yeah? God dwells in you. The mind of Christ, which we read about in 1 Corinthians chapter two and the beginning of three, where it talks about the mind of Christ, that is the Holy Spirit. You don't have, you don't have the, the mind of Christ in terms of the natural mind. He hasn't taken your brain out and put his brain in. You have the mind of Christ because the Spirit, as that scripture says, searches all the thoughts of God. 
And Paul says that no one knows the heart of a man except like the spirit of that person. But you have the mind of Christ, which is the Holy Spirit. You have the one who knows every single thought of God dwells in you. That's a pretty amazing reality, kind of hard to grasp. But everything that we do is done by the Spirit of God. But we have to partner with what God is doing. And one of the ways that we partner with, the first step is humility, is acknowledgement of who God is and who I am, who the Holy Spirit is in me. Matthew 6, 33, where it talks about provision, but it says, seek first the kingdom of God and righteousness. So the fear of the Lord helps to establish right order. The kingdom coming is the manifestation and permeation of the reality of the lordship of Jesus on earth. My kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That means the right order of heaven coming down to earth and it comes through his people. It comes through the people of God, through the church of God. We are the ones that are bringing about the kingdom. The church isn't the kingdom. Wherever Jesus is Lord, that's the kingdom. So guess what? There could be a whole stack of churches in in the nations that aren't part of the kingdom because Jesus isn't Lord. Something or someone else is. And that's why we're like, I'm like, bring on the fear of the Lord, Lord. (laughs) Release your fear because I want to be part of your kingdom. I want to be positioned rightly. What good is it for us to do anything that's outside of his desire? What a waste of time. Do you know how hard it is to be a pastor? Sometimes it sucks. Like royally, absolutely is just crap. And you know, I'm thinking all those other words that you know, the unredeemed parts of my mind are going down. Like we said sometimes in meetings, I'm just like, why? Like, why are we pursuing the more for people? Because oftentimes people are resistant to change. They're resistant to breakthrough. They're resistant to coming out of the sin that they're trapped in. They're resistant to coming out of denial and bondage and brokenness. But because you love people and you want the best from them, you're like, okay, we need, so we need to have that confronting conversation. Who loves having confronting conversations? Not me. But you do it because, of, because you love people and you know it's what God desires. And it's, but I'll tell you what, there's easier ways to do it. But what point if we just chose the easy path? We could, just, we could just, hey, let's just entertain people on a Sunday. Let's just make them feel all gooey and warm inside and go, wow, so fantastic. And I loved the, you know, the, Oh, the music was so good, so quality, and oh, the effects on the screen, and oh, the lighting, and the, you know, all those things. Wow, it was so impressive. Man, Braddy just preached, he just like, oh, it just made me feel all nice and warm and fuzzy inside, and said such funny stories, and he used, you know, pathos and humor and all of these things just to wow me and draw me in and captivate me. Oh, what a good orator he is. Oh, and then the, you know, there's amazing coffee and beautiful food, all this stuff. And I just laughed with people and, you know, kept all the, the yucky stuff inside and just smiled and was happy and just enjoyed that. Oh, wouldn't that be glorious? <laughs> Again, I'm not like, I know that, ha- that some of that stuff kind of happens and, 
it's people's, um, I wouldn't say their good intent, it's their um, ignorant intent, thinking, you know, it's like, oh, this is doing good stuff and people are getting saved and all that sort of stuff. They're not necessarily getting saved and coming under the lordship of Jesus. They're raising their hand and praying a prayer to get out of going to hell, which is good as well. Don't want hell for anyone, but you know what I mean? It's like we're, we're pushing into the more. We don't, Rachel doesn't want to get up and talk about the fear of the Lord. I'm not sure how many of you were around after that sermon when she was on the floor. And the cost of that, the cost of what gets carried in intercession, that comes upon the leaders here sometimes of what they carry in intercession for the breakthrough for this community, for the more of God. And then not even for us, but for this, for the region and for the nation, whatever it is, it's like, we'll, we'll count the cost, Jesus. Just like he did for us. The more you become like Jesus, the more willing you are to lay down your life for the sake of others. It doesn't make it any less painful, though. You become more willing, but the cost is exactly the same. Just because Jesus was willing to die on a cross for you, like every nail, every thorn in his skull, every spear in his side, every lash in his back was just as painful as what it would have been if you were on there. The desire of God, Revelation eleven fifteen where it talks about the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. We're not trying to get everyone saved. That, like, God desires that, that all would be saved and that none would perish, but that's not the intent of Jesus coming. He could just show up in a dream, hey, pray this prayer, if that's the way, boom, you're in heaven, everything's good. Jesus desires that his kingdom would come. And you can't have a kingdom without a king. And that kingdom doesn't work unless there's an acknowledgement of him being the king, the Lord. So God's righteousness is his right order, first in us and then also in the world. And one of the roles of the Holy Spirit, he is always bringing order to chaos. And God's order is his righteousness. Everything acting in accordance with nature, in a sense. So when God acts righteously, he is acting in accordance with his nature, which is holy and pure and good. So he's always gonna do that. He's not gonna say, you know what? I'm in a bad mood. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do some bad stuff. Oh, I messed up. Sorry, children. Just have one of those days, you know. It's never gonna happen because he is perfectly righteous and all of the divine attributes of his nature, which is his glory. When his glory comes, it's the manifestation of the divine attributes of his nature. That's why joy can burst out in a room, righteousness, peace, crying, yeah. Coming out of the weight of, of the impact of the sin in our lives. When Jesus is Lord, he always gets his way. He's a bit like that. He really likes to get his own way. Because he's righteous. 
God's way is always the best way. And sometimes we can resist the way of the Lord because we don't trust that he is good or because we don't actually think that we will like the way that God does it. Or do I want to yield myself because what if God's plan isn't the same as my plan? What if the way that he does it, what if I don't like the way that he does it? So then we can resist the Lord. And sometimes our heart desires don't align with God's and so saying, your will be done, Lord, isn't a happy thing to say because we know that if God had his desires filled, I might not get my desires filled. Because maybe the desires of my heart aren't actually all that righteous. Maybe the desires of my heart aren't actually in alignment with my new creation identity and reality and the desires of my spirit, my new creation spirit man. So we can spout out the words, but does our heart actually believe, yes, Lord, you do whatever you want to do? We're praying that during the worship at the end, and I'm like, I remember when I used to pray and I used to think about that. I'd be like, oh, but, but God, what if you then took something from me or you, know, you, you took my wife away or took my children away? Or that, you know, that was your will because part of me understood that that was the nature of God, that he would do something like that to one of his children. But I'm like, I'm standing, I'm like, I, I just, I have that revelation. I don't have that fear anymore. I don't fear God doing something bad for me for his sake. But that comes because my heart is, you know, day by day, sometimes week by week, sometimes month by month, um, sometimes it takes that long, you know, is being transformed to have his desires, to be more like him. So again, I'm not just behaving differently, I'm becoming different. We might think to ourselves, well, if God had his way, my selfish desires won't be satisfied. But if God had his way, my ungodly ambition won't be fulfilled. If God had his way, he will be in control and I won't be. And that will make me feel very unsafe. If God's in control, then I'm not. Hmm, I don't like that arrangement. Can we do like a 50-50 I'll give you my Sunday mornings and I'll be in control the rest of the, you know, like, no. What if God doesn't want what I want? What if his plan is different to my plan? I know none of you ask these questions. It's probably just me. But I just wanna let you know, he's God and your plan as lovely and glorious as it is, really doesn't exist in God's perspective. Proverbs 16, 9, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his step. Oh, it's lovely that you've got a plan, Rach. That's fantastic. But guess what? I'm God, and I'm gonna do it my way. So it can be really fun for you, or it can be a real struggle for you. So this conflict happens when our hearts are out of order. They are contending with the desires of God's heart. 
which are also, ultimately they're our desires. When you become a new creation, you have new desires put in you by the Spirit of God. But your heart isn't in alignment with that. So that's the whole process of doing the heart journey is aligning my heart with the reality of who God has made me to be now. So false peace comes through denial or a seared conscience. But true peace comes when the contention within us is removed. Sometimes we seek peace by changing our circumstance. So we control or we avoid the reality around us. Yep, we get, we move everything into order. We manipulate people. We control them. We say, you stand there. You go over there. You shut up. You there. No, don't do that. Okay. <sighs> peace. Oh, glorious. <sighs> yeah. I wake up this morning and our kids have got iPads. And we've banned them since moving out of our two-bedroom apartment, which we lived in as a family of five for two years. I just wanna say, sometimes iPads can be really, really good. <laughs> but we're like, moved out of there into the new house, iPads away, just left. And then during the week, sometimes we're cleaning out some boxes and I found the charging cables for the iPads and, uh, and shoved them in a box in my room, wake up the next morning. No, it was that night. And I come home and I'm like, why is the house so quiet? <laughs> That's weird. Go upstairs, think, look up on the bed, and Mike's like, <laughs> then go in, and all three of them are just quietly playing on their iPads. But it's, it's just like, because normally it's do, 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 jumping around and yelling and screaming and fighting and doing all that sort of stuff, which is completely normal for children to do. But it's this thing. But the reality is, it's a false peace, because they're just kind of, you know, hiding away on this thing. So just to alleviate, you know, we, are, we manage it and they don't, you know, but. Um, anyway, the analogy is there's false peace when the environment seems to be uh, that kind of way. Or sometimes we just actually deny what's going on around us. We bury our head in the sand. There's chaos and disorder and all that sort of stuff. There's a big pile of washing. I just walk past the laundry like that, you know, find a way just to deny the reality of what's going on around me. And, ah, huh, I feel good. Right, everything's in chaos. Everything's falling apart. Financial disarray, house is a mess, things are falling apart, relationships are in thing, but I'm good because I'm in denial. Like, oh, well, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm trapped in sin. I've been stuck in this hole for years and years and years, but you know what? I, don't, I just don't feel that bad about it anymore. It's kind of like it's, I found some way to justify it. Well, because I'm sure everyone struggles with it, and so it's not that really that big a deal, and my conscience has just nicely been seared so there's no flow, blood flow between the two because it's seared. Happens, talks about it in Romans. So that's what false peace looks like, but true peace comes when my heart stops being in contention with God's heart and his desires. They're not wrestling and fighting one another anymore. They're at rest. That's what peace looks like. Peace for you, true peace is when my heart and God's heart, my desires and God's desires are perfectly aligned. Disobedience or rebellion to God doesn't make a person free of his lordship. It just robs them of the blessing and freedom of his lordship. If you're in the kingdom of God, disobedience or rebellion, it doesn't make you free of his lordship. I'm just gonna step out from underneath his lordship. 
No, no, it just robs you of the blessing and freedom of his lordship. You can't truly rebel against God because he'll always remain God. We just miss out on fellowship and all that that involves. If God has his way, your heart's desires will be radically transformed to align with his heart's desires, which will mean that you will love the outcome of his will because you desire what he desires. That's the natural process in journeys that I start to love more and more what he loves. And I start to desire more and more what he desires. And I start to find satisfaction more and more in what satisfies him. You know, when you first maybe start out on the journey, if you lived maybe on the, you know, in the kingdom of darkness for a while, which is what I did, um, and you kind of look at people and Christians, they're just like, they just kind of look like boring. Like they don't get to do all the fun things that you can do when you're a sinner. You know, and, uh, and you kind of, they're just missing out on all of these things. And, um, and yet as you kind of journey and, and mature and step into more kind of righteousness, you start to realize like, wow, that's, that's so much better. And I just really love that. Like I, I love to worship God and I, and I love to, to be in his presence. I, I love the things that he loves. And I don't so much love the things that I used to love anymore because my heart's desires have changed. Psalm 37, verse four, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. So we say, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now we can obviously read that in, okay, I'll delight in you God and then you'll give me what I want. That's one way you could read it. Or the other way is, when I delight in you, you will put your desires in my heart. And so I'll desire what you desire. It's not, if you've ever read that verse, you go, oh, I found a way to manipulate the Lord to get what I want. Sorry. Because when you delight in him, guess what's gonna happen in your heart? True delight, it's gonna change your heart. The more we are transformed by God, the more we desire the things of God. We are made in his image. And too often, it's the other way around, that we make God in our image. And that's natural, that's why, that's why we do prayer ministry, is to try and change that view of how you see God. Because we, we make a form of who he is, but it's not actually who he is. But if we are made in the image of God, then we are designed to enjoy him and all that he enjoys. That's the most normal and natural thing for you. One of the beautiful outcomes of when the fear of the Lord comes and rests upon us, either individually or corporately, it suffocates the atmosphere that sin thrives in. The ecosystem of hell gets crushed under the weight of the ecosystem of heaven. That's why even when the fear of the Lord comes, it's almost like things can start to kick and scream because they're gasping for air, the things not of God. Demonic stuff starts going crazy. It's good because it's getting suffocated by the Lord. It's a good thing. Don't start giving it mouth to mouth. (laughs) 
When the fear of the Lord comes, the lies of hell become suffocated by the truth of heaven. We become more awakened to the reality and impact of our sin, which opens the door to recognize and repent for our sin. If sin is our life source, then we'll feel the sting of death when the Lord shows up more and more. You might find it's like the fear of the Lord. I'm feeling the sting of death because he's robbing me of my life source, but my life source is actually poisonous and only bringing death and destruction because it's sin. It's not from the Lord. These times are warning seasons for us. So we need to take it seriously. Like we're not just presenting like, hmm, what can we preach on? Hmm, I don't know. It's preaching the fear of the Lord. Like it, it's, that's not generally how we um, arrange kind of sermons and all that sort of stuff. We don't plan out the year. We don't have a preaching schedule. It's generally on a Tuesday. Like, so who wants to speak this week? Um, but it'll be something where like there'll be a topic that'll be dropped in someone's heart or he'll be taking someone through some intercession. It's like, okay, I think this is the next thing that God's wanting to, to teach us so that we can step into, not just so we can be filled with knowledge, but it's like, okay, this is the Lord preparing us for something. Because we can talk about, oh, yeah, I just feel like, you know, in prayer, oh, there's this fresh outpouring coming from God. It's like, it's gonna be awesome. But the Lord's like, if you wanna be able to steward it, you gotta be able to handle it. You want the new wine? You gotta be a new wineskin. That takes some forming. God is not mucking around. Sin cannot thrive in God's ecosystem, which means the more that God shows up, the more uncomfortable we'll become if we're living in sin. It's his grace that he prepares us. He doesn't just release the outpouring and then we get crushed under the weight of his righteousness and holiness and purity when we're stuck in those areas of brokenness. Romans 5 talks about, you know, where sin abounds, grace abounds also. Again, we can think about, so where sin abounds, oh, it's okay, there's grace there to cover all of that sin. That's not what it's saying. It's not supposed to be a competition. It's not the more sin I do, the more grace gets released. No, the more that sin hounds me, the greater measure of power from God exists to free me and save me. Wherever you are stuck, whatever measure of bondage you are in, there is a greater measure of grace that can free you from that place. No matter how bad it is, God's power is present and able to free you from that thing. Grace is not a covering for sin, it's the antidote for sin. When you're at your lowest and worst place of bondage, brokenness, and sin, God's breakthrough power is there in abundance. Humility releases grace, but grace doesn't nullify your responsibility to deal with your own heart. It doesn't remove your responsibility to say, now that it's been revealed, what do I need to do to partner with that work? So this is, again, why for us, prayer ministry. Prayer ministry, as I said last week, is simply a facilitated encounter with Jesus. You can have one on your own, but oftentimes, denial, deception, lack of awareness, lack of maturity, judgments, brokenness, all of those things uh, don't enable us to see clearly what God wants to do. They don't enable us to see clearly our sin, it's like we're stuck and we're blind in errors. All of these blind spots. So to have someone there who's listening to Holy Spirit, he could say, hey, guess what? That's a blind spot you don't see. You got some cake on your face, like you, you don't know. <laughs> like, you know, so that's what it is. But all it is, is two people 
with the Holy Spirit, hoping to facilitate an encounter with Jesus. It's not some new super-duper thing. Um, doesn't replace Jesus or Holy Spirit or anything like that. It is it's just it's like, hey, let's get together and we're gonna meet with Holy Spirit and we're gonna help to facilitate you having an encounter with Jesus and you're gonna do all the repentance and all the praying and all of that sort of stuff. That's all that is. But sometimes what can happen is, so sin gets revealed and we confess our sin. Good, amen. And that is an act of humility. It's all good. Uh, so then, because I step into humility in that confession, then grace is released. And I feel empowered. And I'm like, I just feel like I'm, I'm free from that area of, of bondage. I've been stuck in this place. I've been greedy and I've confessed it. And God's grace has come. And I just feel free. I'm not greedy anymore. But then if I don't go and deal with, but what was the root system that was producing greed as a bad fruit in my life? If I don't get to the root, then what happens is after a season, I can just drift back into self-reliance and pride. So I'm like, the grace is here. It's like when the grace of God comes, the hardest things seem easy. You know, sometimes like you be, it's like, oh man, I just had a big week. I just felt like I had a grace for it. Last week, if I'd done that, I would have been dead and wiped out. But this week, it's like, man, there was just a grace upon me. The power of God was upon me to accomplish what he had. But if we don't deal with the root, then we can naturally drift back into, yeah, I'm awesome. I overcame that sin. I feel so good. And, you know, self-reliance and pride comes in. So what happens to the grace? The grace lifts. Because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So God stands in opposition to me to stop me moving forward until I deal with my stuff. And therefore, the old sin comes back. Like, oh, man, it's been like a month. I thought I was free from that. Now it's back again. Oh, no. Clearly, that doesn't work, and God's not powerful, and all that sort of thing. It's like, no, no, you didn't take responsibility to repent of the sin that brought it in in the first place. So we see there's a partnering there. There's humility, grace, freedom, but then there's responsibility that exists in that realm as well. I'm almost done. God is desiring a people with upright hearts. Uprightness and righteousness are linked in many verses of Scripture. If you read through the Psalms, there's lots. Psalm 30 to 11, Psalm 36, 10, Psalm 64, 10, Psalm 94, 15, Psalm 97, 11, Psalm 119, verse 7, etc., etc. But it talks about the upright of heart and the righteousness of God. So righteousness flows from a pure and upright heart. And as I said, this comes through encounters with Jesus where he brings your heart into right order. If you are in unforgiveness, if you have unforgiveness in your heart, then your heart is out of order with God's heart because unforgiveness is sin. If your heart is in judgment towards someone, your heart is out of order with God. So that's why we repent to the Father. That's why we confess that sin to the Father because we need to get in right order here before we can be in right order here. So in the kingdom of God, if you want to be used by God to accomplish great things, don't, like, don't practice preaching. Don't look for the right ministry opportunity. Don't saddle up to the, next to the right kind of people. Seek first his kingdom, which is the lordship of Jesus, and his righteousness, which is right order in your relationship with him. And he will have a vessel that will be useful for his kingdom purposes. Not for church activities, which I think sometimes is just a waste of time. In the U.S., statistically, where they've looked at the rise of the megachurch in the U.S. and the 
impact on community, they've altered like that. So the community impact has gone down and yet the megachurch thing has gone up. So rooms filled with thousands of people and yet doesn't mean the kingdom's come, not necessarily. If I see a church of a thousand people, I'm like, oh, that's sort of great. I'm not, I don't immediately say, oh, they must be doing the right thing. I'm not gonna judge them and say, you're doing a bad, you're a big church, so you must be bad. It's not that at all. I'm just saying, I, I, I couldn't make an assessment as to whether that's God or not. It could just be someone that's like really, really good at doing church. Miley Cyrus is good at drawing crowds of people. Football teams are great at drawing, you know, drawing crowds of people. It doesn't mean anything. It's not like the Lord, I mean, God might be on the eagles, but you know, it's like it's, it's the, the favor of the Lord or, you know, just joking. <laughs> I don't really care. I'm just saying that to, I have, I have, if I have allegiance anywhere, it's just slightly to the eagles, but, um, but we, we bless the, the Dockers too because um, they need it. Uh, Second Timothy chapter two, verse 20. says, now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. It's always the way is how I position myself, how I allow the Lord to shape me into a vessel of purity and righteousness and holiness set apart for that intention. And we take that for our, in our community, it's like we take personal integrity is massive, but also corporate integrity, like we don't, we're not trying to be something. We can have, we have all these amazing, and we do, lots of prophetic words about who will be and all of that sort of stuff and being known, all those sorts of things, but it's like, but that's, God will do that. We never lose sight of our responsibility and take on his responsibility. If God wants to use us to be a blessing to the, to the region, to the city, to the nation, to the nations, he's gonna do it. But what I wanna be is a vessel that won't get broken apart when he releases more of who he is. I wanna be able to enjoy God when he comes in greater measure. I'm like, Lord, if you're gonna come in greater measure, I wanna be able to like, sustain you and hold you. And all of that, that's determined by my internal world, primarily. Keeps coming back to the heart. Yep. I wanna pray for you. Why don't you stand with me? I wanna pray for you if you are stuck. In whatever way you might feel stuck, I wanna pray for you. And I feel like the only appropriate response is a response of humility. So whether you wanna come to the front or kneel where you are, if you're stuck, I wanna pray for you. But I don't want the grace of God to be nullified by any pride in your heart. 
You get to choose. So I just want to respond, and I'm going to pray this prayer for myself as well. I just want to say, respond in whatever way is going to cost you to humble yourself. Now, if you don't feel like you're stuck and you're not in need of anything, that's okay. No one's going to judge you for, for standing or sitting or whatever you want to do. Father God, we just invite your fear, the fear of you to dwell in this place, to dwell upon us, Lord, as a people, God. And Father, we don't fear the fear of the Lord. We welcome it, Lord. We rejoice, God, that you would be so gracious and loving and kind to prepare us for the more of you. Because we want more of you, Lord. So when your fear comes, Lord, you're, you're responding to our desire. And because you love us, you're like, well, I don't wanna pour out my spirit and crush you under the weight of my holiness and my glory. So I'm gonna form you into a new wineskin. But it means the old wineskin's gotta go. But Father God, as we position ourselves, as we posture ourselves in humility, Lord, we just say, search our hearts, O oh Lord. Search my heart, Lord, as the Psalm said, Lord. Find any way of wickedness in me, Lord. Any way where our heart is not in alignment with you, Lord. We just say, expose it and reveal it, Lord. A bruised reed you will not break, Lord. You're not here to crush us, God. You're here to free us. Your intent is always for our good. So Father, we just bring before you these areas where we just feel stuck. We've been around the mountain so many times, Lord. Where we've marched around and the walls haven't fallen, Lord. But we call out for your trumpet cry, Jesus. We put our hearts before you, Lord. Say, purify our hearts, Lord. Cleanse us, Father, from all unrighteousness, Lord. Expose every root of wickedness, Father, every area of bondage, Lord, where we have sinned on purpose, Father, and even where we've sinned by accident, Lord. Where we sinned in our childhood, Father, where we sinned this morning, Lord. We thank you that you see it, Lord, and your grace is sufficient, God. Your power, Lord, is sufficient, God, that even in our weakest place, Lord, you're enough for us. And we choose to repent, Father. We choose to say, we don't, we don't wanna walk in that way anymore. We don't wanna be in agreement with those ways anymore, Lord. We don't wanna live under the guilt and the shame of what we choose to do with our minds or with our hands or with our hearts, Lord. Father, even for, for areas of where, we're, where we feel physically stuck, Lord, where, where healing hasn't come, where breakthrough hasn't come, Lord, we present ourselves before you. We say, we need you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. 
We cannot go another day without you, Lord, and we don't want to go another day without you, Lord. I pray, Father, even that you would mark the days, Lord, that we would wake up and we'd realize, I can't do this day without you, Jesus. And if I can, then something is wrong. If I can live this day without you, Jesus, without talking to you, without knowing your presence, without experiencing your grace, then I'm not actually living the life that you purchased for me, Lord. I'm just sliding through this easy life, and what a waste, God. We thank you that your mercy covers us, Lord. We thank you for the finished work of the cross that that brings us into righteousness with you, God. But Father, we pray that you would release that righteousness all through our hearts, Lord, that would bubble up from our new creation, Lord, our, our spirit. I just speak blessing over your spirit, over your new creation identity that would flow and permeate your heart, that the Lordship of Jesus will invade every area. And Father, to the depths of our hearts that we know we give to you, Lord. We know there's deeper that places that you take us, Father, but to the depth that we know our own hearts, Lord, we give that deep place to you. We say, come and be Lord Jesus. Just commit yourself to the Lordship of Jesus. I just encourage you, just in your own words, I commit myself to your Lordship, Jesus. I yield myself to your Lordship, Jesus. Because you are Lord, whether I acknowledge it or not. But I want to receive the blessing that comes from living under the safety of your Lordship. The blessing that comes with living under the, the wisdom of your Lordship. The freedom of your Lordship, God. And Father, we bind and break the power of the lie that says that living outside of your lordship is better and safer and easier. We want to see a greater measure of outpouring of your presence, Lord, in this community, in this region, in this nation, Father. But Lord, we want to be a vessel, not just that can carry it, Lord, but can experience that ourselves, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. 